Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Bring Home Sandrine, a podcast about the disappearance of Sandrine Jordan. This is episode one, Missing. My name is Graham Crowley. Thank you very much for listening. The thoughts and opinions in this podcast are mine. This podcast has been created for an adult audience. There is discussion about suicide and death. Listener discretion is advised. And a shout out to Sandrine's extended family the majority of whom I have not met, spread around Queensland, New South Wales, Western Australia and France. I hope this podcast raises the profile of Sandrine's disappearance and brings you some desperately needed answers. On Friday 13 July 2012, Sandrine Emmanuel Jordan, 37 years, loving mother to three children, loved daughter, sibling to five, was standing at the front gate of an acreage property in Tomlinson Road, Caboolture, Queensland, a property owned and occupied by her friend Jono. The time was 5.29pm in the afternoon. At 5.30pm, she was missing. She remains missing to this day. She has not been heard from even once. The exact time of her disappearance may have been several minutes either side of 5.30pm, but the message is clear. She vanished in one minute, apparently. The following program aired on television in Brisbane in 2013. Welcome back to Wanted. There are at least 1,800 people who've been missing from their loved ones for more than six months in Australia. Sandrine Jordan is one of them. The 38-year-old mother of three went missing just over a year ago from Caboolture in Queensland. She was last seen on Friday the 13th of July when she left a friend's house. Now, Sandrine suffers from depression. She's interested in spiritualism and has talked about spending time at a Buddhist retreat. She is, of course, terribly missed by her family, who joins us now. Sandrine's sister, Christine, and two of Sandrine's children, Jesse and Sam. I am based in Brisbane, Queensland. I've had more than 30 years' experience as a police detective, private, corporate and commercial investigator. I have a passion for investigating and reporting on true crime cases that seem off, that just don't sit right. And here we are. I believe, unfortunately, Sandrine Jordan's disappearance falls into it-just-doesn't-sit-right category. I do not know what happened to Sandrine Jordan, but I invite you to come with me on this journey to see if we can shed some light on her disappearance. Sandrine's disappearance has devastated her immediate family, her extended family, and her friends. 
it has had a ripple effect throughout the community. In Australia, more than 38,000 people go missing every year. But the number who go missing depends very much on where you do your research. For instance, according to the Australian Government website, the National Missing Persons Coordination Centre, 53,000 people were reported missing in 2021. 95% of people reported missing are located within a month. The rest? According to the Australian Government website, there are currently 2,600 people in Australia who have been missing for more than three months. There are 2,599 other families scattered around Australia going through what the Jordan family go through daily. I cannot speak for those other families, but I can speak for the Jordan family. There is not a day goes by where they do not think of Sandrine, nor look for Sandrine. I am in awe at the extraordinary lengths the family and friends have gone to, and continued to go to, to find Sandrine. Searches of bushland continue. Inquiries to locate Sandrine continue. Posters continue to be spread around South East Queensland seeking information. The Facebook page Missing Sandrine Jordan has more than 1,700 followers and continues to have active posts and comments. There have been irregular media stories about Sandrine through the years. They have included several newspaper articles, television stories, at least one magazine article, a radio interview on the Jackie O program. Television programs included A Current Affair and SBS Television. There are a number of YouTube videos circulating regarding her disappearance. Details of some of the media stories can be found on the Facebook page. You may wonder why and how Sandrine Jordan, as a missing person, is different to the other 2,599 long-term missing persons in Australia. I do not know the status of the other 2,599 long-term missing. I do know the status of Sandrine Jordan. In July 2016, she was declared deceased by a Queensland coroner. The coroner recorded Sandrine committed suicide. Her remains have never been found. A finding Sandrine's family strenuously reject. And a finding I find surprising. 2022 was a 10-year anniversary of Sandrine's disappearance. I cannot begin to imagine the daily routine for the Jordan family and the families of the other 2,599 long-term missing persons. Wondering if they'll hear from or about their loved one that day. Checking the Facebook page for comments and their email inbox. Holding their breath and chasing the news when an announcement of the location of a body is made. At the time of her disappearance, Sandrine's children, two girls and a boy, were aged 17 years, 14 and 12 years. They have grown into adulthood without the guidance, support and love of their mother and likewise she has not had the enjoyment nor pleasure of watching them mature into adults.
Sandrine's youngest child, Nikita, now 22 years of age, lives in Perth, Western Australia. I recently had the pleasure to speak with her by phone. Nikita, good morning. Good morning. How are you, Graham? I'm very well, thanks. Thanks for your time today. That's okay. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. It's my pleasure, Nikita. (laughs) I wonder if we can start. Can you tell me how old you were at the time your mother went missing? I was 12 years old, so I was very, very young. (laughs) Yeah. You still have good memories of her? Yes, I've got plenty. Yeah, because although I was quite young, I was always quite switched on. So, yeah, I have very a lot of fun memories of mum. That's great. Were you living with your mother at the time? No, I was not. I was living with my dad in Karatha. Okay. And your parents had separated uh, a little time before that, hadn't they? Yeah, they separated when I was six years old. But you spent most of the next six years with your mother, is that the case? Yes, on and off. On and off. So okay. I would go between, yeah, Karatha and Queensland, but I did spend pretty much majority of it in Queensland. And that was in Caboolture? Yes. Living with your mum? Yeah. When did you hear or how did you hear that your mother had gone missing? I actually, well, it's a bit disappointing how I found out, but I actually found out off Facebook and I was sleeping over at one of my girlfriend's house and we were just camping out the front and I was just scrolling on Facebook when I was 12 and then I came past a post and it just said that, um, yeah, Sandrine missing person and I was like, mm, that's my mum and that's exactly how I found out. And then the next day that's when all the family came in and told me and kind of went more into depth about it. What did you think when you heard that news? I couldn't believe it. I didn't understand it. I was very confused about how someone could just go missing. I've never had to experience anything like that before. So it was just so fresh. Um, and it was extremely confronting because I normally, if I ever wanted to speak to mum or talk to mum, it was just one phone call away. So not having that was extremely weird for me, I guess you put it. Yeah, I bet it was. Yeah. How would you describe the last 10 years in Kita? It has been very full on and there's lots of hurdles, I guess. There's no way of dealing with grief, especially when there's no closure about exactly what happened. It's hard for me to put my mind around and kind of like fill in the dots, I guess, and fill in the missing pieces when I've gotten no answers at all. So that's been a hard thing to deal with, but I am quite mature for my age and I think I've had to growing up without mum. Um, I've just, yeah, the past 10 years of my life have honestly gone so quick and everything's happened and I've just, yeah, I've grown up very, very quickly and I think that's all been because I haven't had my mum there really to help guide me or teach me things or show me things and I've just had to do it all myself. So it's been very hard and challenging. but. It kind of shapes you into the person, I guess, Yeah. that I am. This might be a bit difficult for you, but do you think your mother's still alive, Nikita? No, and I have not thought that pretty much since she went missing because I just know that she would never leave us kids 
and someone would have to take her from us for that to happen. Like she just adored us so much. And I think coming up with that conclusion a little while ago has been a fundamental part, I guess, on dealing with my grief. You've read the coroner's report, right? Yes. Do you agree with the coroner's finding? No, because as much as my mum struggled with her mental health, she was also extremely strong. She had been through so much in her life, so much trauma from her childhood, and she just still remained so level-headed. She had her days, of course, where she, you know, would cry, as we all do, and she would struggle and she would deal with anxiety and a little bit of depression, but I feel like that's extremely normal for someone to experience. So the fact that they have stated that she's just, you know, gone off and committed suicide is... In my opinion, it's just not, it's absolutely something that she would never do to us. Mm. If she did, it's weird that her body has not been found. Exactly. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense. And you have a brother and sister, right? Yes, I do. How do they cope? Honestly, um, they struggle a little bit more than what I have. I think also because they were older than me, they've got to see more of mum and spend more time with mum. And I think that they have kind of found different ways to deal with their grief compared to myself. But they, we're all getting through it. And it's nice now that we can have conversations about mum without getting upset and crying and we can laugh about her and kind of remember the good times instead of so much it's being around her disappearance. Do you have any idea what happened to your mother? I think that... She was taken by someone when she was at John's property in Kabulcha. I think that she walked out the front and either someone came to greet her and pick her up and take her somewhere or someone just snatched her because it, she literally just disappeared into thin air. But I know that someone would have done something to her. Someone would have taken her, whether that they put her in her car or in their car and drove her off somewhere. But, yeah, someone's definitely, I think, killed my mum. It's just uh, terrible that this case hasn't had the attention that really it deserves, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. And I think also a lot of people go missing every day and a lot of people also struggle with their mental health and sometimes I feel like that gets pushed to the side a little bit. With the coroner report, That's they just really built it all around her mental health. And over the past 10 years, I've had to hear so many people just comment on the fact that she was struggling with her mental health. Yeah, she's more than that. And she's very smart and intelligent and she just, she knows what she's doing. And yeah, I feel like she would just, yeah, she would just not run away. As soon as there's some comment that they're struggling with their mental health, just seems to get ignored or wiped off or something. Yeah, it definitely does, which is it's unfair because mum is maybe, I don't know, a number to the government, but she's my mum, she's a sister, she's an auntie, she's a daughter, so she's extremely important to so many people. So I feel like everyone should have a fair shot of kind of finding answers to get closure. The key to one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast is to promote this story, promote the disappearance of your mother, and hopefully 
someone will come forward with some information that can um, lead us to her. Unfortunately, I agree. I think Sandrine's deceased. But with some luck, someone can come forward and tell us where her remains are and, and put her to rest, give you kids yeah. some closure. Yeah, absolutely. And there has to be some – there is no way that there is not one person on this planet that doesn't know what happened to my mum. There has to at least be a couple. I agree. I think there's at least two people who know what happened to Sandrine. Yes, the more pressure we apply, the more chance we have of finding out what happened to her and, more importantly, where she is and we can bring Sandrine home. Yeah, absolutely. It makes me very happy that people, when I hear people talking about mum's case, because Mm. sometimes like over the past 10 years, because we've really had no answers at all, I feel like it's just gone so under the radar. So when people hear it, I'm almost surprised. That is so true. It has gone so far under the radar. Yeah, it absolutely is. It's unfair. Mm. And also like it's, we have now, like my, my siblings and I, we go without a mum and we, she doesn't get to see us grow up and she doesn't get to see my sister have her kids or me have my babies one day or us get married. And it's mm. like so many things that she's going to miss out on that I know she would have loved to be around for. And the fact yeah. that, yeah, closure is just so, so important to help you get over grief and the fact that we haven't got any. I don't want this to be you know, a continuous thing like for the rest of my life where I never find answers. But I truly, I truly feel like we are going to find answers one day and that's why I've never really lost hope about it. Yeah. Well, I hope so too, Nikita. Thank you, Graham. Thank you very much for your time. No, that's all good. No worries. And we'll talk soon. Okay, perfect. I am embarrassed to say I only first heard of this case in 2022. I read an online story detailing the 10-year anniversary of her disappearance. The fact that she disappeared from Caboolture grabbed my attention. I noted the coroner found she had committed suicide. In 2012, I was living only 40 kilometres south of where she disappeared. My business at that time took me to Caboolture on a regular basis. When I read the article, my initial thought was, Why haven't I heard about this story before today? My second thought was, where is Sandrine's body? For a start, there were not that many stories to miss, actually. I've lived in southeast Queensland most of my life. To vanish from Caboolture without a trace is, in my opinion, quite unique. I'm sure most of my listeners know where Caboolture is located. I do have many loyal overseas and interstate listeners. Thank you for that. For their benefit, I'll give you a quick rundown on Caboolture. Located approximately 50 kilometres north of Queensland's capital, Brisbane, and in the beautiful Moreton Bay region, Caboolture is a fast-growing area of southeast Queensland. It is a town and suburb in its own right, but with urban sprawl, is considered by many to be part of Brisbane. In the 2011 census, Caboolture had a population of 22,000 people. I'd suggest in 2023 the population would be edging well past 30,000. It occurred to me when I read this story, if I had not heard of this case until recently, I'm sure there will be many other people who likewise have not heard of it. In fact, when I started mentioning to people I was doing a podcast about it, 
Everyone asked, who is Sandrine? Sandrine's brother, Philip, reported her missing to Caboolture Police on 17 July 2012, four days after her disappearance. Queensland Police did not broadcast her disappearance until 21 July, another four days later, and eight days after her last sighting. The first newspaper article I can find in relation to her disappearance was dated 25 July 2012. Twelve crucial days. A cold trail, really. Yesterday's news. Upon reflection, I do not believe Sandrine's disappearance was treated by the media in the same manner as other women who disappeared around the same time. Take the case of Alison Baden-Clay. Alison went missing from an affluent Brisbane western suburb on 19 April 2012, less than three months before Sandrine's disappearance. I have a recollection of constant media stories of her disappearance, including print and television, until the discovery of her body ten days later and the arrest of her husband, Gerard Baden-Clay, the day after that. To be fair, Gerard fronting the media a few days after her disappearance with a large, angry, recent gouge running the length of his cheek, sent the media pack into a frenzy. A gouge he claimed occurred when he cut himself shaving. A claim I think 0% of the population believed. After that, the media never left his side, smelling blood. Then there were the snide innuendos Gerard, a high-profile businessman, was somehow responsible for her disappearance. I guess in Sandrine's case the media did not have a Gerard to focus on. And in September 2012, two months after Sandrine's disappearance, Jill Maher went missing in the early hours of the morning after a night out with friends in Melbourne, Victoria. And that story too was all over the Brisbane media, particularly television. Vision of her walking down the street past CCTV in a retail shop possibly stumbling as she went. It seemed to me that vision was on daily loop on the television news until her body was located and an arrest eventually made. Yet barely a whisper about Sandrine. I could probably do an entire episode on why the media focused on those two cases but not Sandrine's. Nikita nailed it when she mentioned mental health. I believe how the media portray a story defines how the public will react to the story. Sandrine was not the only woman to go missing in 2012 who has never been found in the same geographical area. Jennifer Kilkenny, then 34 years, disappeared from Zilmere, a northern suburb of Brisbane, on 1 January 2012, six months before Sandrine's disappearance. She has not been heard from since then either. She was intending to drive eight kilometres to her home in nearby Benio. Her car was later found at Brighton Park, 11 kilometres away in the opposite direction. To put it in perspective, Zilmere is 40 kilometres from Kabulcha. Brighton Park is a similar distance, less than an hour's drive really. If Sandrine had gone missing just two weeks earlier, her residential address 
was then Deegan. Deegan de Zilmere is just five kilometres. Would two women going missing five kilometres apart, neither ever found, within months of each other, be connected? I hope the Queensland Police considered that when investigating both matters. Are the cases connected? I have no idea. There has not been an inquest into the disappearance of Jennifer Kilkenny, which is probably a good thing. Another finding of suicide with no body would set a dangerous precedent. It appears Jennifer's case received even less media attention than Sandrine's. Another case that flew under the radar. Another missing person I was unaware of. I wonder if there was mention of suicide or mental health issues by the media. I intend to reach out to the family of Jennifer Kilkenny to compare notes, to see if there are any names or details common to both cases. Coincidentally, Jennifer Kilkenny's name does not appear on the Australian Government Missing Persons website, www.missingpersons.gov.au. How is she supposed to be found when there's not even a national record of her missing? Her name does appear on the Queensland Police website as missing. Her name also appears on a privately run website, which is much more user-friendly than the Australian Government website, called australianmissingpersonsregister.com. If you are wondering whether there was an Ivan Milat copycat driving around, kidnapping unsuspecting women, you should be aware of the location of Sandrine's disappearance. The property Sandrine disappeared from was at the end of a dead-end road. I drove down Tomlinson Road, Caboolture, just recently. Even though there are numerous houses less than 500 metres away, they have been built facing away from Tomlinson Road and there are high wooden fences in between, with no connecting road. You could walk across country to them, but to drive there would be over two kilometres. Number 123 is located very near the end of Tomlinson Road. It's remote, bushy, isolated. An aerial view of the location gives you a very clear understanding of the terrain of the area. I have placed an aerial view of the area on the Facebook page, Missing Sandrine Jordan, to help you appreciate the location of her disappearance and possibly why she has never been found. All the dwellings on those acreage properties in that area are now gone, and the area is commercial with a logging business, a trucking business, container storage, and similar enterprises taking their place. All these properties back onto Lagoon Creek, The area is covered in dense vegetation. The other side of Tomlinson Road remains unchanged. It is a large, flat area occupied by a church. People are only there when there is a church function happening. How fortunate would a random killer have to be, driving around looking for a victim, who decides to drive down a dead-end road, and voila, a victim standing beside the road right in front of him. Unlikely, I think. Another reason I do not believe Sandrine disappeared at the hands of someone she did not know. Sandrine was a prolific writer. At times she may have been described as a scribbler. She was jotting down thoughts, ideas, her feelings, her experiences 
and other material constantly. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. The police investigators called them her ramblings, and some likely were. Yet many were lucid and quite normal. Her family kindly handed over all of Sandrine's writings to me. I trawled through a box filled with her writings, in notebooks, in loose-leaf folders, on bits of paper. There were some interesting comments. This one in particular caught my attention. It was written just days before her disappearance. I have lived amongst pedophiles, criminals, and yes, someone who I believe to be a serial killer. She went on to name the person, a friend of a friend. She had been to his house more than once. Ramblings? Possibly. In the two weeks leading up to her disappearance, she wrote more than once that she was in fear of her life. She told family and friends she was in danger. She had upset the wrong people, she said. She declined accommodation at her sister's house. She would be placing them in danger also, she said. Not that she was suicidal. She never wrote that or said that. Paranoia? Or perhaps written off as paranoia. There is a lot of ground to make up after ten years. More than one person knows what happened to Sandrine. Of that I am confident. I am hoping this podcast will raise Sandrine's profile and in turn public awareness of her case. I am hoping someone will come forward with the missing piece of the puzzle to Sandrine's disappearance. I know from my previous podcasts, 80% of my listeners live in Australia. A large percentage of those most likely live right here in Queensland. The very audience that may hold the key to her disappearance. Please discuss Sandrine's disappearance with your family and friends in case they have that one small piece of information that may assist. One of the questions, there are a few, I hope to answer by this podcast, is how the Queensland Police Service and the Queensland Coroner concluded Sandrine committed suicide when her remains have never been found. After hearing of Sandrine's disappearance, I started exploring how many other instances there have been where someone has been declared deceased with their remains yet to be located. I was only able to find one instance. Perhaps there are more, but I could not find reference to any. And this other missing person was closer to home than I imagined. On 23 September 2009, Queensland Police Sergeant Michael Mick Isles drove out of Air Police Station in North Queensland in a police vehicle heading to a conference in Townsville, a hundred kilometres to the north. He has never been seen again. The police vehicle was found abandoned later that day 
80 kilometres west of there in very, very remote country in a dry creek bed. An extensive search over more than 12 days failed to locate any trace of Sergeant Isles. Further land and air searches were conducted over following months, again with no result. A coronial hearing was held over seven days in July 2012 and September 2012 at Brisbane before the state coroner. One of the hearing days was coincidentally Friday the 13th of July 2012, the day Sandrine went missing. Seventeen witnesses gave evidence at the hearing and 250 exhibits were tendered. The coroner brought down his finding on 14 September 2012 where he said the following, quote, Weighing all these factors, I reluctantly find that Michael Isles intentionally took his own life. I knew of this missing case, of course. It was all over the media. I did not know Mick Isles personally, but as it turns out, we were both training at the Queensland Police Academy at the same time in 1974. Now compare that coronial investigation to that of Sandrine Jordan's. And I do not mean because one was a police officer. If a police officer goes missing, there will always be a big investigation. They were both suffering mental health issues. The coroner's report in relation to the disappearance of Mick Isles ran to 38 pages. Sandrine's coronial investigation resulted in a six-page report. The last page had three lines on it, so basically a five-page report. No witnesses gave evidence. To me, a finding of suicide in Sandrine's case is inexplicable. Of course, I am yet to see the police report, but I am confident the coroner's report mirrors the police investigation. I personally wonder whether the coroner made the correct call finding Sandrine died by suicide with no remains having been located. I would have thought she should have returned an open finding on Sandrine's death. If you are unsure of the term open finding, essentially it means a coroner would rule the person is deceased, but would find there was insufficient evidence to show the cause of death. And that is important and significant. With a finding of suicide, the Queensland police were able to close their file. With an open finding, they would be obliged to treat Sandrine's disappearance as a cold case missing person and be obliged to continue investigating her disappearance and perhaps at some point even escalate it to a cold case homicide and maybe a reward for information would follow. Sandrine's name has been excised from the Queensland Police Service website. Other people who went missing around the same time have had rewards offered for information leading to what happened to them. Amounts up to and including $250,000. There's a growing list of instances where people have been convicted of murder when nobody has been found, but this is a very different situation. And you should not confuse Sandrine's case with any number of instances involving missing persons and the oceans of the world. As you would know, it's not uncommon where people go missing at sea, their body is never found. There are regular news articles concerning people being lost at sea and never found. I was on a cruise ship 20 years ago when a man fell or jumped into the water, just off Caloundra, 
It was dark, but we could hear him calling out. He was never found, despite the ship turning around immediately. Sandrine was in Caboolture. The nearest water is at Beechmere, 12 kilometres away. Bribey Island and Moreton Bay is 30 kilometres away. Sandrine's car was in the workshop being repaired. If her body ended up in the ocean, she needed help to get there. Did she dig a grave and bury herself alive? Unlikely. Did she wander off into the forest and her remains scattered by wild animals? Possible. If she did, how did she get there? The nearest forest to Caboolture is perhaps 30 kilometres. There were only ever going to be four outcomes after Sandrine went missing. One, Sandrine was located or made contact with her family or returned home voluntarily, as happens in 95% of missing person cases. Two, Sandrine is alive and well, living somewhere and has ceased all contact with her family, friends and society generally. Three, Sandrine committed suicide. Four, Sandrine was murdered. Outcome number one has not occurred. Outcome number two is very unlikely. The Queensland Police Service has reported there has been no proof of life of Sandrine since 13 July 2012. Her bank accounts have not been touched. Her Medicare card has not been used. Her passport has not been used. Her mobile phone has not been used. She has not contacted family or friends. She has not been cited once since that day. Her emails and other social media remain untouched. She has not come to the notice of any state or federal government departments, and there are many. Her family are adamant Sandrine would have contacted her children, and from what the family have told me, I accept that unequivocally. That leaves outcomes three and four. I'll discuss outcome four, murder, in a later episode. Did Sandrine take option three, suicide? Did Sandrine have mental health issues? Yes, she did. So what? Did she use drugs? I'm told she occasionally used marijuana. So what? Was she suicidal? Yes, she had been. So what? That only becomes relevant if it was a significant and contributing factor to her death. To this time, I have not seen any evidence to support that. Sandrine's family are not aware of any evidence to support that. I will add that it depends on who you speak to as to how suicidal Sandrine was. Her family say she was not suicidal at the time of her disappearance. Others perhaps with an agenda of their own, say she was. One of Sandrine's sisters, Christine, lives not far from Caboolture and not far from me. She continues to actively search for her sister. We have become regular visitors to each other's home. Nothing is too much trouble for Christine. She is happy to answer my many questions and provide whatever documents I ask for and willingly provides many other documents she thinks are also important. 
When Christine and I first met, we had a long discussion covering all the circumstances of Sandrine's disappearance and the efforts the family have made to find her. For now, I wanted to understand who Sandrine was, the circumstances of the day she went missing, and to talk about the coroner's finding. Christine will have more to say in later episodes. Do you think Sandrine's alive? No. Why? She would never leave her kids. She would never leave her kids or her friends or her family. She would just never do that at all. Prior to her going missing, she was actually scared more than anything. I spoke to her three days before she went missing and she told me at the time that she had stuffed up, sent the wrong email and she was now in trouble. That was the last time I've ever spoke to my sister. When I investigated everything and contacted everybody, contacted every single phone number she ever contacted, send them a photo of Sandrine, have you seen her? Majority replied back saying, no, I haven't seen her, or yes, she came and saw me three weeks ago. She came and visited me in her ute, blah, blah, blah. I hadn't seen her in a few years and I was surprised to see her. But apart from that, I think when she first went missing, we were all hopeful that maybe she was hiding out at a friend's house or something. It wasn't until she missed Jessie's birthday on the 3rd of September, her oldest daughter, that we went, nope, there was no way she would have missed that on earth. And the fact that she had no contact with the kids for that whole period of time, her bank accounts hadn't been touched, nothing had been touched at all, is when we went, nope. That's She's not hiding out, something's happened. Christine, can you tell me about Sandrine the person, please? Um, Sandrine is um, very outdoorsy, <laughs> very outdoorsy. Anything to do with camping or climbing or canoeing, anything like that, she'd be the first one in it. She was very arty, like she, drawings and things like that were just paintings, drawings. Absolutely loved doing she inherited that part, not me. Loved doing drawings, painting, being outdoors, that kind of things. Her three kids were pretty much everything for her. She did everything, whatever made them happy. If they wanted to stay with her, stayed with her. If they wanted to go with Dad, they stayed with Dad. Not like what this coroner's report is saying. She lost custody. There was no custody issue. It was just one of those things the kids would go to their dads and that was it. But, yeah, no, Sandrine, was, she, was, she was just one of those persons that will make friends with your friends. Like, she just, anybody and everybody she just make friends with. And then that friend will become her friend, and in the end, your friends and her friends will mix up because that's just the way she was. Everybody just, she just had that personality about her that just everybody just loved, especially after we moved to Australia. They used to call her the Mini Al, Al McPherson. That's what her nickname was at high school, was Mini Al, because of the fact that she had the long brown hair and the long legs and everything else, and and that's what it stuck with when we came back. Apart from that, she had um, she had some issues of her own and stress-related issues, but that's 
or part of life in general. But in general, she tried to make everything in. She literally would try to make the best of everything. She loved the kids, loved my kids, loved my sister's kids. She would always, as my kid says, she was always their favourite auntie. Granny Sandrine came over, that was it. I mean, my youngest daughter actually went and got a tattoo and got her name and everything else tattooed on her. That's how much my Sandrine affected my kids. My kids were absolutely adored it, their auntie Sandrine. They was just... Some things are hard to say and some things are hard to see now because it's always like talking in past tense with her. But general thing, you'll find a lot of... A lot of our family members have all got her paintings and things like that throughout their house here and there because of certain things. And a lot of times after she went missing, we gave them all to the kids. We gave a lot of their stuff, her stuff to the kids so, so that they could have memories of their mum because a lot of her stuff went missing. We still don't know where it ended up. Christine, can you tell me about Friday the 13th of July 2012? From my accounts and from what my mum has told me is she was staying at mum's. Mum took her down to the local IGA shop to get a new phone because her phone had dropped in the toilet so she couldn't, it had broken, so she couldn't use it. So mum went and got her a new phone. She bought, bought a cheap little Nokia thing and then she took her to the bank. She took her to her friend Corey's house. Then my sister that time came out crying and told my mum that 250,000 people go missing in this world and I'm going to be one of them. And then got in my mum's car, told mum that she wanted to go to Rob's house, that Rob was going to, she had organised to get Rob to drop her off at a Buddhist retreat and that's where Brad was going to be. So she wanted to go to this Buddhist retreat because that's where Brad was going to be. She need to fix it. She need to fix the fact that she had upset him and today was his birthday. So she needed to catch up with him. She needed to see him and she needed to fix it. Mum dropped Sandrine off at Rob's place. Mum verified with Rob he would take Sandrine to this Buddhist retreat that she wanted. He would give her a lift to where she wanted to go. Mum went on her way. Mum went back to my brother's house that night had a nap because mum has a heart condition. So she went back to my brother's house, had a nap. She was tired from driving around from Bybee to Caborcho and around Caborcho. She went to the bank and everything else with Sandrine that day as well. So by that time, she was tired, so she dropped her off at Robbo's place, roughly maybe around 10 or 11, around that time, a.m. From what I've heard, Rob's housemates then came home. Sandrine felt uncomfortable and asked Rob to drop her off at Jono's. But when he dropped her off at Jono's, she made him drop her off around the corner. And apparently Sandrine was there all day with them. They had a few drinks, according to him. This is what he's told me, that they had sat there, they were talking, they were drinking. She had positioned herself in his house where she could see the driveway and was watching the driveway. And she kept on looking at driveway at the driveway at all times. From what John O's told me over the, over the years of these phone calls all the time, he's told me that she went out, he was loading up the motorbikes for the boys because his boys had then come over to go to motocross the Caboolture showground. 
they do on a Friday night there, they do motocross, and he was loading up bikes for that. But apparently by the time they got there, it had rained. So it got cancelled. But by the time he drove from his driveway to the front, which is probably 100 or 150 metres if so, it's a long driveway, it was at the time, her jacket was on the fence, he apparently called out for her name, she didn't answer, he went to motocross and then came back with the boys, told the boys that he was going to go for a drive to go look for her. One time he's told me the boys came with him, one time he said the boys went to the church across the road. So I've had two different versions with him in that department where he's told me he dropped the boys back off and they went to the church across the road. They had this um, youth group kind of thing going and he went looking for Sandrine. On another conversation I've had with him, he said that the boys came with him and drove around and one of his boys, Matthew, I think I believe his name was, pointed out, oh, there she is at the bus stop. But for some reason, he dropped the boys back off at the church thing and then went back out looking for Sandrine. So I've had two different versions in that department, but I've never really taken that as a say-so because every time I got a phone call from him, he was always drunk. So that was that. This is like 5.30 apparently. This is Sandrine walked off to his driveway and then she's just vanished. 10 o'clock that night, John O called my brother Philip up. Apparently my sister had given him Philip's phone number to him a few days prior to it, if in case anything happened, you need to call Philip. That night, John O called my brother up at 10 and again around 10.30 that night again. My brother said, look, it's Nate. We'll talk to you in the morning. The next day, John O called my brother up again. My brother then called John O up. He's told her him that Sandrine's stuff was at the house. All the Sandrine stuff was at his house to come and grab it. My brother then contacted all of us, all the sisters and brothers, going, hey, have you heard from Sandrine? Can you find out if she's with one of the friends? So then I contacted her friends on Facebook and everything else, because, hey, have you heard from Sandrine, blah, 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 blah. No one's heard from her. What's Has anybody heard from her? A friend of hers called Peter Morgan contacted me, and she goes, look, Sandrine just contacted me a few days ago regarding she actually had contacted her on the 13th of July herself because she was concerned that Brad was suicidal. Brad had told her that he wanted to suicide and then, well, let's do it together. And then when my sister then told my mum that that is what Brad was wanting to do, I don't want to do it, she made a big point to my mum and say, just got off the phone, apparently Brad suicidal, he wanted me to join him, I've told him no. And for that whole two days after that, my sister was upset. She was like, I need to fix this. I keep, I'm the one that stuffed it up. I need to fix it. When my mum asked her what she meant by she stuffed it up, she goes, I told him the truth about his ex-girlfriend, which at the time was Justine. She admitted to Brad that she was the one that sent Justine to Sydney and that she had helped Justine get away from him. So on the day itself that she went missing, all the information I got gathered from after she went missing herself and the fact that Jono called us at 10 o'clock that night to say, hey, she's gone, but to find out weeks later 
Jono wasn't even in his own house. He was across the road in the church car park, watching his own driveway while he's given my brother a call at 10 o'clock at night to say, hey, your sister's gone missing, we're going to move in together. We're, and my brother's like, who, what the heck? Who are you? And that's when we're like, so then every, the next day, my brother just contacted all the family members. Hey, look, you've got any other friends, contact them. We'll find out. By Monday morning, we still hadn't heard a f- word from Sandrine. And we're like, and she hadn't gone to any of her friends. She hadn't contacted any family members. She hadn't contacted the kids. She hadn't contacted anybody. We're like, no, something's not right here. And that's where my brother went to the police. The family made an application in early December 2022 under state legislation, freedom of information laws, for the police investigation reports and statements into Sandrine's disappearance. A reply from the Queensland Police Service regarding that application is yet to be received. Those documents will no doubt shed more information on the case when received. If you have information about the disappearance of Sandrine Jordan, I would love to hear from you. Particularly if you were contacted by Queensland Police about her disappearance, but were not interviewed, or where you were interviewed and you feel your information was not acted on. I would also like to hear from you if you believe you have previously commented on the Facebook page Missing Sandrine Jordan or elsewhere with what you believe is relevant information. Please contact me directly at my email address, graham5353 at live.com. That's G-R-A-E-M-E 5353 at live.com. Discretion and confidentiality are absolutely guaranteed. If you would prefer to remain anonymous, that too is completely fine. You can go to ProtonMail and email me from there anonymously, or simply go to the website for one of my previous podcasts, whokilledleanholland.com. That's www.whokilledleanholland.com and email me from there. Your email address is not recorded on that website, just your IP address, and that is difficult to trace. I have placed those contact details in the show notes of this episode for your reference. Please join me next time when we discuss the coroner's report. We start to gain some understanding of how and why the conclusion Sandrine committed suicide was reached. Please rate and review the podcast for me. It does raise the awareness of the podcast and through that, Sandrine's disappearance. If you follow the podcast, you will be advised when a new episode drops. The Facebook page is Missing Sandrine Jordan, where you can comment also. This podcast was made possible with the grateful assistance of the ACAST Creator Network. Music, Inevitable Hope by RKVC. You'll find all my contact details in the show notes at the end of each episode. Thanks again for listening.